This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Hello and welcome to the show. It's hard to believe, but the calendar year is more than half over. It's a good time to review your financial life. For people in the federal employee health benefits plans, for example, open season isn't all that far off. Financial advisor Abe Grungold spoke with me about a few of the housekeeping tips to keep in mind at this mid-year point. If you are a federal employee and you got married or divorced this year, or maybe you moved to another home or apartment, you need to update your federal employee benefit forms and beneficiaries. It's very important to do that. And fortunately, the government has a form for every occasion. All right. And uh, what if nothing's changed in your life? Is it a good idea to review it anyway? Absolutely. You need to review uh, everything that's going on with respect to your benefits. You need to review your health insurance form your life insurance, your TSP, uh, and many other available forms regarding uh, federal pay and, unfortunately, death benefits. You need to make sure that these are up to date. Yeah, these are longish forms, and it's probably a good idea to make sure everything is correct anyway. So you just redo the form and resubmit it, you think is a good, good policy? Well, every agency is a little bit different. Some agencies have a a payroll program or they do many of their benefits through some sort of a online program, which makes it easy for human resources. Other agencies that are not uh, on the the high technology end, end of it still have to submit the paper forms. So there are many different types. And a really important form that a lot of federal employees don't know about, it's called the SF-1152. And that's the designation of beneficiary in the event that you pass away as a federal employee, how that that form handles unpaid wages who is going to get that last paycheck. And that form is very important. Yeah, so if something has changed in your family life then, for example, if you got divorced or if a child became of majority age or whatever, anything could happen, grandchildren came into the picture, then you would want to just make sure everything is the way you want it to be given the changed circumstances. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the day that I got married, uh, that following Monday when I came back from my honeymoon, I went down to HR and I filled out my SF-2809 relating to health benefits. And it's a table of permissible changes in enrollment. It's called a qualifying event. The day I got married, I added my spouse to the health benefits. The day I had Uh, My daughter, uh, she was automatically put on the health benefit. So I had to fill out a form for her as well. So, yes, you you have to update your forms 
because no one is going to do that for you. You have to be responsible for doing it yourself. And what should people be thinking about with respect specifically to health insurance at this point in the year? Well, for health insurance, you should really be looking at how much have you spent so far this year. If you are not participating in the federal spending account, which you can put money aside to pay for benefits, you need to think about how much money you're spending towards your health benefits. And the FSA program is is a very good program to participate in. You can save quite a bit of money on your taxes as well as paying for benefits. But you also should be looking at to see if the present coverage of your health plan satisfies your medical needs uh, for yourself, for your spouse, and for your family members. Is it providing the health benefits that you need? Because health changes and circumstances arise during the year, and the open season isn't all that long. It's only about three weeks And so that's maybe too short a time to really do all the math, add up all of the possibilities before you go out and choose a plan. So it sounds like you're saying forearmed with some knowledge about what your circumstances are at this moment, it might make your time more efficient during open season in comparing the plans themselves. Yeah, certainly if you develop some sort of a health issue, uh, you need to look to see does your health and cover that health issue. And if it doesn't, you need to make an adjustment during open season to seek out a plan that you can afford and provides the health benefits that you need. So prior to open season, the comparison chart comes out and it gives you a summary of benefits. And certainly the most important part is the, uh, the premiums that are going to be associated with that health plan. So you need to do your homework. You should spend time doing this because health benefits is a very uh, expensive part of your budget during the year, and you need to evaluate that seriously. And if you are contemplating retirement in, say, six months, I mean, you're deep into that window of you better know what the heck's going on financially for when you do retire. What are some of the questions to have at this point? Well, retirement is something that you really need to think, is this the right year for for me to retire? And also, can I afford to retire? Uh, Are you going to have the sufficient amount of income stream to pay your monthly bills, to pay your health insurance, and also be able to go on a vacation or spoil your grandchildren or buy a motorcycle, whatever that little extra is, you need to understand, can your monthly retirement income stream handle those expenses? And what about life insurance? That requirement changes at each stage of life too. And sometimes people carry on with these long-term policies long after they're all that economically beneficial. Well, from a personal standpoint, Tom, I had a 20-year term life insurance policy for myself and my wife. And when I reached age 62, I was thinking about retirement. I realized I didn't have any more debt, so I decided to terminate my life insurance. 
But if you need to make some sort of a change, say you got divorced or married, you need to fill out the SF-2823 designation of beneficiary. You don't want your ex-spouse becoming the beneficiary of your life insurance if that is something you don't want to happen. Right. So you better update that form. And that spouse is going to be on the lookout for that. You can be sure of that. So you've got to make sure you're a step ahead. Well, there's another interesting uh, thing about that, Tom, and that is uh, Social Security. Uh, a lot of times when uh, a person passes on, their ex-spouse is entitled to their Social Security benefits. That's something that somewhat can't be stopped. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. They Sometimes they have this feeling that they don't want their ex-spouse to get any more than the money that they settled with them at the time of divorce. So a lot of these issues come into play. Sure. And I guess if you yourself have gone to the great beyond, then maybe you won't care so much where your Social Security benefits get distributed. But the other issue is, you know, your thrift savings plan strategy. Again, midsummer, the stock market is a little better than it was way, well, it's way better than it was a year, a year and a half ago. And I think there was a recent story in one of the papers nationally about how many people that are boomers, that is, either retired or getting set to retire, are getting aggressive in their investment strategies, maybe to make up for lost time. What's your thought there? Well, I think every participant in the TSP should be somewhat aggressive in order to keep up with inflation and to keep up with the withdrawals from their TSP if they're going to make monthly withdrawals. Now, personally, I had my account drop, I believe it was about 25 to 27% since last year. And it has now come back 17%. And it's still about 8% away from the all-time high. But you need to be somewhat aggressive. And also, you need to review your TSP3 uh, thrift saving plan designation of beneficiary. Now, the website, the TSP website, does allow you to make a change electronically online with your beneficiaries. You should have a primary and at least a contingent in the event something happens uh, to your primary beneficiary. I recently updated mine. Uh, I had my parents listed, and I unfortunately, I had to remove my parents and then make sure that my spouse and my daughter were added. So, yes, it's very important to review this uh, every year. And if you are retired now and you still have to think about health insurance, your TSP, what you're withdrawing from it, et cetera, et cetera. Any particular advice now? Again, this kind of mid-year housekeeping check. So uh, if you're thinking about retirement uh, it, it, and you really should, I hate to say, update the debt benefits form, uh, SF-3104, uh, uh, in the event that you, know, you, you, you do pass away, there is a beneficiary for your benefits if you're a federal employee. Now, if you are uh, 
thinking about retirement, you're going to have to develop an account on the 08 OPM Retirement Services Online website. And you really need to think about uh, making sure that you have a will and some sort of uh, plan to, I hate to say, what is going to happen in the event you do pass away? What are your wishes when that come when that day happens? Don't leave that to to be the decision of a family member who will have to make that decision for you. And probably but, it's a good idea not to download a will form from the internet and fill it out, but shell out what you need to to get a competent estate attorney to to handle that for you. Yeah, so will. A simple will is not that expensive to do, and you should also have a power of attorney form and also healthcare proxies. In the event uh, something happens to you and, and you are unable to make uh, medical decisions on your own, your bills still have to get paid uh, if you can't make your medical decisions on your own. So yes, a will, power of attorney, and healthcare proxies. Very important. Sounds like if you do all of that review now, then uh, this way when you hit vacation, you'll really be able to enjoy that margarita by the beach and not have any worries about your financial planning. Yeah, it, financial planning is not just about the numbers. It's about retirement decisions, life decisions. Have you thought of everything? And these decisions have to be made. It's best to make them before uh, the, uh, uh, something happens in your life. You don't want someone else to be uh, making this decision for you, and you don't want to have uh, these decisions made for by a judge in court or something along that line to settle the estate of your affairs. So try to do your homework and try to prepare. Proper planning prevents poor performance. And if you have a checklist and run through these things and get these things done before you retire, retirement will be pretty pretty uh, straightforward and you can spend more time vacationing and fishing, etc. Financial advisor Abe Grungold. We'll take a short break and when we return, what's on the more immediate agenda when it comes to Congress, the federal budget, and federal employee salaries. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Tamman. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Tamman. Difficult budget negotiations, funding levels for the Office of Personnel Management, federal pay debates. There's a lot to think about these days. For one take, I spoke with the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association Vice President, John Hatton. Well, we're watching the appropriations process in Congress. Uh, We thought there was a little bit more certainty with the debt limit deal Uh, where there were spending caps agreed to uh, by the president and congressional leaders. Um, But now the House is looking to um, appropriate to levels lower than those spending caps, which creates some new uncertainty in the process. 
Um, the House Financial Services and General Government bill uh, would have reduced the spending for OPM by twelve by nearly twelve percent. Um, so it, it just creates where there was some certainty and kind of the the premise of a deal behind top level numbers. Uh, we're now at a stage where there's a lot more uncertainty about how a deal gets done and how it gets through the House. And NARF has recently weighed in with a pretty long letter to Congress, right? Tell us more about that one. Yeah, that was specifically on the financial services and general government bill and uh, our concerns about uh decreasing funding for the Office of Personnel Management. Now, we've had some concerns about how the OPM has been servicing federal annuitants, um, whether it's changes in health insurance coverage or survivor annuities, or uh, they're starting to get through their backlog. They've actually made a lot of improvements, um, but you know they're looking to modernize. They put in requests for funds for things like an online retirement application. You know they still have a paper-based process, so uh, would hate to see the progress that they've made so far uh, be arrested by a huge spending cut um, and m- make it even more difficult to do their job. So, you know, there's cases where they need more money, uh, certainly not less money. So we're concerned about that and and what that, how that could impact federal retirees. Yeah. There's no case management or any kind of data pull system anywhere else in government that could be adapted, do you think, to OPM? Uh, You know, it's a very complex retirement system because of a lot of the different different laws that are applicable. So there you got FERS, you got FERS retired, revised annuity, you've got special category retirements, you have people moving between systems, you have the FEHB. So there may be case management systems that exist out there in the sphere that could be adapted for OPM, but um, it's really a matter of just kind of incrementally moving towards uh, more modern digital um, processes. And so, again, there's going to need some upfront investment on that and the other, they just also need funds for staff. You know, they need enough people in their call center to answer all the phone calls. Sure. Yeah. They share that in common with like the TSP, you know, where, <laughs> and Social Security and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem across government. And so OPM isn't necessarily the only uh, place that had some of those issues on the customer service level. But, you know, I don't think reducing funds is going to help that problem versus you know, even if part of the solution isn't just funding, it's modernization, it's processes. But speaking of the TSP, the the bill also included some language that would basically prevent investments in this new mutual fund window through um, environmental social governments funds. And maybe the the authors of that language wanted to just focus on that. The TSP has said that that's going to force them, if if enacted, that would force them to shut down the entire mutual fund window uh, because they couldn't monitor all the funds to um, actually enforce that mandate. Yeah, that ESG, that whole business you know, of investing, it's really not an investor-friendly situation because you want companies managed for the greatest return and not right. for some other purpose. Yeah. And, and from our perspective, it's just don't direct federal retirees to invest their funds in one way or another. So one of the benefits of this mutual fund window that the TSP created last year is it says, if you don't have the the options in the TSP core funds, which are all very good investment options, you can do this mutual fund window. And if you really want to put your money in an ESG fund, you can do that. If you want to invest in real estate via that mutual fund window, you can do that. So just from our perspective, it's about providing choice to the investors. So they don't take their money out, go somewhere else, they could invest 
invest their money the way they want to. Uh, it's not about imposing a need to do ESG. We would have concerns about you know entering that into the core TSP funds, but it's just Congress doesn't need to be uh, directing federal employees and annuitants how they should invest their funds. And getting back to the federal pay raise, I mean, what's your best guess of how this is going to shake out? The 5.2% looks like the most promising because that matches what already seems to be in the works for military and uniformed. Yeah, it's looking better, especially given uh, the lack of a, a specified or different amount in the House Financial Services and General Government bill. So if Congress remains silent, um, which we're crossing our fingers and hoping for, uh, then in August, uh, President Biden could put out his alternative pay plan. Uh, that would likely follow with the 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 five point two percent average in his budget. Uh, and if nothing is said by Congress in the in that in the appropriations process, that will go through in January of next year. And on the larger picture, now the possibility of sequestration is coming in. This one percent across the board cuts in the discretionary budgets if Congress is just unable to reach some kind of an agreement. And right. maybe sequestration is better than a shutdown. Maybe not. Maybe we'll have <laughs> both. Who knows? But sequestration, nobody's felt for about 10 years. And given what's going on with agencies, that would feel like a pinch. Yeah, it would be a significant cut um, in spending. And, you know, the, the budget deal set up a situation where if Congress can't agree on all 12 appropriations bills and they pass a continuing resolution, that 1% cut uh, will go into effect in January. And as we were talking about earlier, there was some sense of an agreement on these spending caps. And and I think that trigger for sequestration was meant to allow that to be enforced on both defense and non-defense sides so they can just get past the defense bill, but not the labor, health and human services bill. And therefore, you, you don't actually enforce those spending caps and allow you to uh, to mark those. But really, since that time, House Freedom Caucus has kind of been in revolt and not voting on rules to allow Congress to go forward with or the House to go forward with bills and bring them to the floor. So first it was something on gas stoves. Now there's a there's a potential that they're not going to vote on the rule for the National Defense Authorization Act. So on these big ticket items, it's unclear if the House will be able to come together on the Republican side to kind of pass what they want to do and whether there'll be a revolt from kind of the the more conservative wing on passing these these larger appropriations bills, which creates uncertainty for whether that's sequestration, a shutdown, or anything else. Um, uh, the process is very uncertain at this point. Yeah, so really the only action that needs to be taken to prepare for this would be by agency management in pursuit of whatever budget preparations or cutbacks yeah. or programs. But as, as individuals, there's very little federal employees can do at this point. Yeah, unless they want to call up their member of Congress and express concerns about what's going on and the uncertainty they have, but uh, on their own time, of course. <laughs> right. Yes, on your own time, not on official time. John Hatton is staff vice president for policy and programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, NARF. Well, that's it for this week's Fed Life. Keep those ideas coming, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Tamman. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.